spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I haven't dreamed of that moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I haven't dreamed of waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass more years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins, where it all came from, since I held up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Hi, it's Ambien from Spoken Label. Thank you today for streaming or downloading another episode of Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up on beginning of the 2016 and as of speaking has currently nearly 300 sessions. The full archive is available on Spoken Label full stop bandcamp.com although it is available for free for stream and download if you wish i am always grateful for any sort of kind of donation to enable to me to keep the running costs of this podcast going and enjoy take care bye-bye spoken label. hi guys andy ed spoken label back in the house on tuesday evening there's a little bit out there to this evening as well which is ironic because it pissed it down when i left work before as well i got drenched going home but anyway off to one of my favourite areas in the world today, actually. And I grew up, grew up in this area. And this young lady with me today, actually, is originally from the Altrincham area. But she's now living in near where I grew up in Urmston. Yeah, in South Manchester. So a lovely young lady called Lauren Temple. And I got talking to Lauren fairly recently after coming across by chance on Instagram. A few of her poems and video are really impressed with them. And she's kind of talked to me today. So, Lauren, obviously, people who don't know you, Give us, give us a spiel then. Who are you? What started off your creativity? And we'll start from there. Um, so I'm a writer from Manchester. Um, I mostly write poetry, but I'm trying to write a book, which I don't talk about as much. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, what started my creativity? Um, I mean, I've always, I've always wrote. It's actually only fairly recently I started writing poetry, though. Like, um, I mean, like four years ago, I started going to hmm. Young Identity, and I, I went there like. So it's like a writing group in Manchester. And the first time I went there, I never actually wrote a poem before. I'd only wrote, oh, wow. like started writing books and then never finished them. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, that, that, that like got me started in poetry, at least. Yeah, poetry came from natural then, really, didn't it? So yeah. So obviously the night, were you writing, obviously were these aborted books, and that's probably the best way to put it, because I've got loads of aborted novels knocking around. But um, were you trying to write these when you were very young then, basically, originally? Yeah, like, I actually, well, there one, was one story that I did finish. Um, mm. It was it was quite short. It was definitely a short story. And it was when mm. I was like 10, I think. And it won a Blue Peter badge, which oh, I was very wow. proud of at the time. <laughs> and they never gave them out for anything. Um, it was literally about a dog called Custard. And he was called Custard because he spilled a can of custard on his head and got oh, covered wow. in custard. Um, <laughs> peak creativity. No, but like as a, as a kid, I like my dream was that I wanted to be like the world's youngest author. I think I had in my brain that like the world's youngest author was like mm. 16 or something. Um, never was, um, unless you count Blue Peter Badger's publication. <laughs> oh, it's got to be done. It's got to be done that. Brilliant. And um, was it when you were growing up then, was there any writers made that made you want to become a writer? I think 
that's a good question actually because well when I was in primary school I, mm. I actually hated reading um oh, wow. yeah because I'm dyslexic and I was like really far behind they they were still giving me like biff and chip when I was like in year six <laughs> and it was obviously really boring and childish but then when I went in secondary school I like, could like pick my own books and I started reading like stuff you know stuff like Jacqueline Wilson that everyone was reading which is great don't be wrong but also like books that were way too difficult for me like I was reading H.G. Wells and like stuff like that oh, so I couldn't understand half of it I had to keep asking my mum for like every other word but I just found the story so fascinating and I started to try and write sci-fi and stuff myself based off that Ah, right, yeah. Yeah, I think it comes naturally sometimes, doesn't it, when, like, it's... Obviously, when you're that sort of age, you're trying to write. I grew up a lot of the pulp science fiction stuff myself, and mm. and I remember hating reading H.G. Wells when I was about 12 or 13, and I still got some of my very early stories in those days, and they're terrible, <laughs> really bad. <laughs> but, Dude, I haven't, I haven't read them in a long time, so they might, they might be bad, yeah. Oh, God. Worst thing I've got is um, I start writing poetry. I was 10, would you believe? This is, what, 40 odd years ago now. And um, I've still got those poems because I've got all oh. my poems here in eight little A5 hardback books. And I've got a lot of them. But, like, it's some yeah. of it's fun to go back and re-read some of these and thinking, what drugs was on when I wrote some of them? You wonder sometimes, you know what I mean, don't you? So. <laughs> Oh, don't. My, I started writing this um, book when I was, let's say, like 14. Um, I remember it was still, it was called The Unconquered Reality and it was like a dystopian science fiction. And it literally, I, I read it back recently and it sounds like a fan fiction. Like the, the main character falls in love with this emo boy, you know, because it was 2014. Oh, so oh, honestly, it's so cringeworthy. <laughs> oh, no. But I think there's a saying going around for a band called The Fall, if you heard of the Marquis Smith's band. To be a good, to be good at something, you've got to write and do rubbish first. Yeah. So I think you have to learn from it. Definitely that. So your case was, I think you, you seemed like you, you seemed to get more serious about your work when you went. You joined Young Identity, didn't you, at the time? Yeah, it, it's been really good for opportunity. I think I went. I think I just saw like it on Home's website, you know, the theatre Home, um, mm. and I went with my friend. And yeah, since then, like it's been great. Like I've performed at loads of shows with them. Like I've got like paid gigs with them, and. I, published in their um, anthology um, Ecosystems of Fury that's their last one and yeah it's just it's, re- it's really great for opportunities like I feel like if I hadn't have gone to that club I don't know where like my writing would be right now if that makes sense no it does sometimes, sometimes it need you need that little bit of focus and that sort of thing mm-hmm. can help you out a lot with that I think I got mine really when I stood my first thing when I went to uni I was at Bolton Uni from yeah. 98 2001 and I joined a writing group in Bolton, which is well gone now, about four or five years later, so I meandered for a few years mm-hmm. myself. And sometimes is that joining that right group at the right time in your life yeah. makes a big difference, really, doesn't it? So Yeah. I mean, uh, uni helped a little bit as well, because even though I, so I did English and drama, but I could take some creative writing modules. It was pretty flexible. Mm. Um, they just had to be kind of drama too. So I, um, I did script writing, and I've actually wrote a play, which... I will one day edit and put on and it's actually um, yeah one day <laughs> um, I like that word it, one day um it's, it's actually um about dyslexia and it's like inspired by my dad's childhood um mm. so that was quite re- that was very rewarding to write um I did a I, I did another piece actually a short story about my dad and dyslexia and for that one which then inspired this play I like did an interview with him and I then like paraphrased a lot of the things he said um <laughs> 
so I had kind of had it in his voice and yeah it was, it was really good to hear because even though I've like always struggled with dyslexia like my dad literally left school when he was 14 because like he was just getting called stupid by the teachers getting beaten by the teachers like all this horrible stuff um okay. yeah um so now he hates teachers like you tend to know after that yeah <laughs> um <laughs> but it was like it was really good for me to kind of talk to him about that and if it, it, was, it was weirdly quite therapeutic for like the both of us yeah now you, you told me off mic before and obviously i want to talk about it a bit more with you because you t- i didn't know this Obviously, that before you've obviously you've yeah you've obviously seen that poem man and, and a pound poem man in the uh, flapjack press book and then you can show it but I forgot the name of it. <laughs> Neurodiverse. Neurodiverse. I love yeah. this book so much. I'm, near, I'm near, I think I've got a couple of chapters left, but yeah. I didn't actually know you were dyslexic actually, letting on dyspraxia. You told me just a mic before, mm-hmm. so. But I think this book's been really good because like people know I said I got I diagnosed when I was 28 with it. So mm-hmm. when did you find out you were actually dyslexic and dyspraxic? So dyslexia, I've always known. I think they must have diagnosed me really young because I've never like not known it. Um, but dyspraxia was only when I went to university because they were like retesting me for dyslexia. Um, and I didn't even know what the thing was. At first they told me it was just like clumsiness. And now I know that it's more than that. It's like, you know, to with like more than just like physical coordination. It's like mental coordination as well. Um, yeah. I'm really glad I did get diagnosed though because... There's just so many little things that like for so long I was just like calling myself stupid for um, without realising that it's like not really my fault. It's just kind of a part of me. Yeah, it all is really because like it was um, I had a number of history when I was at uni mm-hmm. and um, when I went to go sit in a chair, I've missed a chair and hit the floor mm-hmm. <laughs> or in some cases bounce off the chair, land on the table and knock myself out. <laughs> we have we have a joke at work that every time mm-hmm. I'm on shift I accidentally kick a Zimmer frame. No one's attached to Zimmer frame. They're, Zimmer, they're like laid out, but I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so I just, yeah, I can't. Oh. But they should make me take like a wheelchair license test. Like, because oh. um, I have to be so careful because I'm like, you know, you have to put like extra effort yeah. into like coordination. <laughs> We're probably best telling people what your job is as well. Oh, yeah. Act- Sorry. Yeah. We don't need to name where, but I know you're an activities coordinator, aren't you? Yeah. A certain person, all that is that all, all, all the older person's home, yeah, it's a care home, yeah, care homes, yeah, it's fair enough. So, which is interesting, really, like, because um, when you're doing that sort of role, where you've got to have like some kind of coordination, but you, <laughs> you don't have it at all, really. Do I you? just so, have to concentrate really hard, and like, I just I, a lot of the time I'll ask someone to help me, um, or yeah, I, honestly, it's just like concentrating really, really hard <laughs> to make yeah. sure you know, because obviously, you want to be safe and stuff because it, they're the ones that struggle with coordination as well, obviously, because they're older. Um, mm. but yeah I'm fine, I'm fine most of the time as long as I just you know concentrate on what I'm doing then yeah fine. how does yeah. how does this reflect in your work now then obviously you found out you about the dyspraxia and dyslexia then because mm. like it was I know when I was at uni I really struggled the first year and a half of essays mm. but I learned based to train myself to work probably three times as hard as everybody else to get my work done and then the creative stuff mm. has that happened to you then has it really since you joined Young well, Identity well at uni I actually um I ended up getting like an editor like for my essays which was so helpful oh my gosh mm. um it meant that like I could like my words were reflected rather than my spelling mistakes if that makes sense um so that was really good um like at work I don't know if it really affects me much at work I just kind of laugh at myself whenever I spell something wrong and tell everyone I'm dyslexic and it's fine and they don't care um I found that young identities so, are like a lot of writers are neurodiverse in some way like Shirley, um, who runs Young Identity, is dyslexic as well. So that's quite relatable, <laughs> having her being dyslexic as well. But yeah, 
I don't know. It it's not really been a negative thing since I've kind of left education. It's just been kind of a part of my life. And honestly, if anything is a positive thing, sometimes because of my dyslexia, I accidentally make up words and I use them in my poems. Oh, join the oh, join the club with that completely. Is I I seem to do that myself. Where a lot of the time I end up structuring sentences in no way they should be there mm -hmm. or mixing images up and you're like it's not making words up in my case it's giving something of such an unusual structure in a poem yeah. people saying afterwards that's incredible how do you manage that and you can't tell people it's a complete accident can you <laughs> honestly I, I just I just assume certain words are words and then people I have to be told someone's like Lauren that's not a word and I'm like well does it make sense to you and they're like yeah and I'm like okay that's, that works then like I love turning um like just normal words like into verbs you know what I mean like into like doing words I love doing that oh yeah, I, I wanted to say as well that poem that you wrote um as part of the collection I I want to show my dad that because I think he'll find that really relatable yeah, yeah, sure. Show that and get me. He wants to talk to me. Get him to talk to speak him and drop me a message. Yeah. I said, no problem. He's not only into poetry, but I think he'd like that one, definitely. Yeah, the piece, my piece in that book, people are wondering, was talking about my life the way it was. Because mm. I, I had a nightmare childhood in some ways, because mm. I, I got to the end of the sky, I got to stay 16, like, unlike your dad, really. But mm. my grades nose died because I give up, because it was just, I was not, I'm not in a good place at the time. So mm -hmm. it took me yeah. probably to do some years later to pull myself out when it's easy said and done sometimes, I think that. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah, definitely. I like it, it's a case like your, I don't know how old your dad is, he's probably- Oh, he's in, he's in his 60s. Oh yeah, he was older than me then, so yeah, he would have had it twice as bad as me then, because it was bad enough when I was in the 80s at school. Like your dad's yeah. case would have been the 70s, we really had it bad, so yeah, no, I get it completely. Yeah, it now, was very bad. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to hear that. Now, That's obviously, okay. talk about yourself, I want to talk about some bits and pieces here. Now, <laughs> On your link three page, I know you've got a really good poem of yours up there called She Made Her Own Wedding Dress. Oh, and yeah, that one. I want you to talk about that first of all, because I think that's a really good poem straight away. Thank you. Um, yeah, that was inspired by my nan. Um, I'm actually, the book that I'm writing is also inspired by her and my mum. So my nan actually passed away in 2020. Um, and we were looking after her um, and she had dementia. So it was kind of like quite odd because, you know, all of a sudden we've got someone around us all the time and then she passed away. And as well, I kind of had like, I don't know if it comes across in this poem exactly, but I write about it a lot is that I had a bit of a difficult relationship with my nan because she wasn't a very nice person and everyone was like, oh, that's because she's got dementia. I'm like, no, she, she got nicer with the dementia. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah um, she was just the kind of person that would like you go out to a restaurant and she'd be like look at that woman over there how can she come dressed like that you know like she'd just be openly like rude yeah um, I've got I've got my exes like that I'm just terrible with that so but anyway listen we'll move along because I'm not going to get sued <laughs> oh my gosh but anyway so that's like the picture of what my nan was like but the poem is kind of basically about this idea of like inherited like grief like being passed down because in the poem it kind of talks about how her husband died and I don't if it's not really explicit in the poem but basically my, my granddad her husband passed away while she was pregnant with my mum oh wow yeah Ooh. so my mum never got to meet her dad um so I kind of wanted to kind of explore how like that relationship and that person can be passed down even though that person's not there. It's like the idea of the wedding dress. It's almost like this physical embodiment of the grief and, you know, 
it being passed down and even when my nan's passed away at the end of the poem the wedding dress is still there like I've still got that even though she's gone and my only bit of him left the man I never met was her and now that she's gone it's like all I have are these things these objects of the both of them if that makes sense oh yeah yeah no 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 it does this so a bit of background noise here, yeah. No, it's, it's the memories of anything like you do, because like, I've got ornaments knocking on both my grandparents and even mm. something from my great-grandmum. And it's yeah. these sort of things you hang on to when you get older, I think, and it's, like I said, it's, it may, it's something that may mean nothing to somebody else, means it means the world to you sometimes, mm. I think. Definitely yeah. that. Now, I want to talk about a few bits and pieces on your creativity, on your website mm. as well, because give people a bit of um, understanding of you as a person as well. Now, I know you did um, Distant Libraries, Manchester yeah. Cities of Literature's Festival of Libraries in 2020. Tell us about the experience of that then, first of all, next time. Yeah, no, that was really fun. It was like um, a series of workshops um, that we worked on where we were exploring like the idea of what a library is and what a library should be. And then when we actually did the event, it was both like a poetry event, but also like the audience were very much like a part of it as in a discussion about what they think libraries should be like what should be in a library space, you know, what would make libraries better. And it, it was such an interesting event. And quite interestingly, we were talking about dyslexia. I ended up re- reading a poem about dyslexia for that, um, about really? how, I can't remember, were we talking about this when we were recording or not, about how I wasn't allowed to pick my own books in primary school? I can't remember recording or not. I have no idea. Dyspraxia <laughs> alert. And also jack shit brains and memory as well, okay. so... <laughs> well yeah basically the poem was about how I used to hate reading because I wasn't given a choice I was very limited because of um, my reading skills but once I was able to pick my own books and read stuff that was way too hard for me that's when I actually fell in love with reading so the, the poem kind of explores that and how somewhere like a library could be like a horrible space for me you know if if I'd let if I'd let that whole thing of struggling with words kind of consume my love for literature then a library would have been like a horrible place, whereas now a library is a sanctuary. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree, Ooh, I agree completely with you on that one. So, no, brilliant. Now, also as well, on your website, there's a couple of things mm-hmm. I want to talk about next as well. Uh, I know you did cabaret, or get it right now, because I get my words wrong now, cabaret for freedom at mm-hmm. Manchester Literature Festival in last year, actually. So what happened there then? Oh, that was a really good event. Um they do it, do they do it every single year or every few years? I can't remember. I've heard um, of it. I've got the thing I've, I've got the thing I've read it a couple of years ago for myself. It just yeah. definitely I can't because I know obviously COVID disrupted how often we did it. No, that was a really great event. Um I ended up reading a poem for that um called Helianthus, which is inspired by um the residents of my care home and is about dementia. And I it, that was a really good event. Like I love that it was um it was near Old Trafford, so it was kind of not in the city like a lot of poetry events. Yeah, which really good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was it was really good because like we actually had um it was really nice at the end. This, my mum overheard this family who said they were like confused. They were like, "What's going on here?" We we're like, "We just live across the road and we just walked in because we saw the lights on." And I just love that. Like that, this, this is like the family just like you know they weren't coming for a poetry event. They just like saw the lights run in the church and was like, "Oh, <laughs> let's have a look." Like I, I love that so much because. I feel like poetry can be seen as this kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like exclusive, like it kind of, yeah, like pretentious or like kind of almost like VIP space. And I'm like, yeah. no, yeah. poetry is for everyone. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, no, I agree. I think it has to be like, and I, there is a problem with that sometimes when. Mm-hmm. 
in times gone past, it was regarded as the, like um, rock and roll music, obviously changed the way people would deliver words and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think poetry has probably took 40, 50 years to catch up to that stage. So, yeah, I agree with you. Now, more recently as well, obviously this year, no, um, I know you've, done, you've been at Chalton, it's been at Ultra Arts Festival, haven't you, this year as well? So yeah. I've, I've not been to get on that this year because I've been too busy with all the stuff. I want to certainly go for them next year. So what did you do there this year then? Yeah, so they had um, an event on called um, Reverb, and it was really cool because it was at this, like, it's called a not-so-secret garden <laughs> in Altrincham, because <laughs> it's literally slap-bang in the middle. Um, and, yeah, it was a really nice event. We were all just, like, reading our poems. Like, it, was, it has a great variety. They had a lot of comedy poems there, which I really appreciate because even, even though I love the poetry events I go to, like, in um, the city, a lot of them are, like, very serious poems. I sound very hypocritical. I, my, my, my poems are very serious poems, but I like to hear comedy poems as well. Um, and, yeah, it was a really good event, and we've got um, another one coming up that's going to be... It's in a place called... It's called Into the Woods? No, that's the name of the musical. So there was a night going, there was a night going that, because um, I think if my memory's correct, Steve Smythe... He's one of the, is the host of Speakeasy, actually. Read that, oh, that yeah. he did. Yeah, so I'm sure Steve mentioned that to me as well. So that's why. So it's sort of nice. I'd like to get on myself in the future. So anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it sounded like it's only had a great time with that. Yeah, now, this, sorry. Sorry, pardon me. Sorry, go on. Ladies this, first. I was going to say this next event sounds good because it's actually going to be like, whatever the place is called, I will remember it later, but it's going to be like in an actual like forest, which is like the coolest space ever for me to like perform a poem. <laughs> like, that's so oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, great. Now, the, the most recent thing I think that you're aware of, well, you just worked with Young Identities, didn't you? Mm-hmm. As a facilitator for support in the steering group. Now, tell us about that experience. Yeah, so, so it's like two things. So I'm part of the steering group, which is basically like a planning group it's like we're not the core group that makes all the decisions but we're the ones who they give the decisions to and they say like you're actually young people who are part of the group what do you think about this should we do these events like what's like the future of the organization um and then the workshop facilitating um so i've been an assistant for that uh, and it's basically like co-running the workshops with someone who's been a facilitator for like a long time and like learning how to do it basically it's brilliant um, it's brilliant dude yeah. when you get, get a chance to a good workshop to anybody i've been running them one way or another for about 15 years or so now and it's great because it gave me a great pleasure when i started doing my last load mm-hmm. and amanda and my wife had never done and they've done that before it was great fun seeing her get the first experience like you did and it's something i think when you, you see how you can help people it's brilliant isn't it honestly it's it's so like the workshops that i've helped out have been like so creative like i've been doing them with a girl called ella and we've they've all been like so like physical like we've got ones with like chalk and you know making tiny books and just all sorts of like oh, wow. real, we had a typewriter one time like they're just all so like physical and like that's what i love like love doing like when in future when I get to like you know be the main facilitator I really want to do like a workshop based off like games and stuff oh yeah definitely do really it fun. definitely do it nice be yeah. pleasure that one because I've done 
I did one at the Shaw Star Centre a few years ago, and that was when I was teaching six or seven-year-olds how to write poetry. And mm. I was doing it all through phys- physical movement and stuff like that, and it was like, because I'm, I'm completely uncoordinated, the parents yeah. actually love me even more for this. So, yeah, no, it's worth, it's worth the experience. Because I'm always a believer with creativity. And you're definitely at this stage, you will be at this stage yourself, mm. and you are now. It's like there's so much more you can give apart from just writing poetry, I think. Yeah. You learn from like teaching as well, like definitely. And it's it, it's it's really different to be um, a facilitator rather than a participant, but it's just a really interesting. Uh, I should probably fully explain what Young NC is. I feel like I've referenced it multiple times about actually explaining. Um, so it's basically a writing group. Um, we meet three times a week at the moment. So Monday at home, Tuesday at um central library and wednesday in old trafford at limelight in old trafford all the information's on their instagram account but basically they're free workshops uh, for young people aged 14 to 25 and they're, they're fantastic they're great See, look at that, you can't do a better plug on that straight away so <laughs> <laughs> now obviously lauren we're coming to the end of the chat bit now anyway so we're going to get you to a few poems in a few minutes for us but before we get on to that i always like to ask people what plans do you have next for your creativity what direction do you see your work going, say, in the next five years? I think I want to prioritise my prose more because poetry is like so... It's not It's not easy to make a perfect poem, but it's easy to write a poem. And when you feel like your time's limited and you've got all this stuff going on in life, it's so much easier to write poems. But I'm really passionate about the book that I'm writing. I just need to find the time to work on it. Um and also the play. I really want to work on the play. And I was like, my, this year is like the book. Next year is the play. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And as well, um, I want to write a collection, a poetry collection. Um, I want, I'm working with my friend, um, Eva Lewis. Um, they're also a poet. And yeah, like slowly over time, we are building this collection. It's like we're constantly sending each other our work to like edit all the time. So it's like we're, we're unintentionally building the collection together. <laughs> and yeah, I, I want to do more teaching as well, like more workshop facilitating, definitely. Now do it. Hopefully encourage you definitely with that. So now obviously, Lauren, if people want to find out more about you, mm-hmm. where do you recommend that they go? Um, most of my stuff I post on my Instagram so it's Lauren Temple Poet I don't really tend to post anything else except for poetry stuff so that's that's the best place to find me got my link tree with any events or videos or anything on there as well no fair play good luck but definitely so now that be it for the chat bit anyway so we're gonna I want to give you plenty of time to do some of your poems today for people so we'll wrap up this part now Lauren I've loved it as well. been really interesting tonight because yeah. it's always good people uh, to tip people and say, and I'm sure you'd agree with this one before we conclude, is I didn't actually know you were dyspraxic and dyslexic. Mm-hmm. This is what till you told me just off mic before. And I didn't know you've yeah. got that neurodiverse book. So it's, that's why it's been fascinating today. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's been great. Yeah. yeah. No pleasure. So, right. We'll see you all in a minute, guys. Spock. Okay. This. Um first poem I'm going to read two of them they're kind of like sister poems like one comes after the other so this first one's called why do I always write nature poems about death we are scattering man's ashes this weekend in the ocean currently she lives in a box behind her old chair been there five months and counting we never seem to find the time to come together We must come together in order to come apart. The cliffs seem like the correct poetic setting with the crashing waves and silence. 
think the car ride will be the hardest part. Buckled in box of ashes as if protecting life. Dad will get lost and argue. Will we eat chips on the beach like we always do? It feels wrong to eat among the dead, even though we do every time we eat dinner in the dining room, empty chair reserved for you know who. Anyway, this poem is about the beach. The water would be a suitable metaphor for grief. But all I can think about is that goddamn chair. It's dust, her dead skin cells collated, her saliva absorbed into it. She was the last person to sit on that chair. I think we should dump the chair into the ocean instead. That's the first poem. Wow. No, what got me was, uh, sorry, I should have uh, giggled for a second. There was a title, was absolutely brilliant. It was. It just kind of completely threw, threw me then on the side. I was making fun of myself because I write I know. Oh, <laughs> I've got a poem I'll send you myself, actually, that's t- touched on some of the ground, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it's about, um, about a piano that gets buried in Morecambe, actually, so in the sea. Oh, yeah. the sea so, but that's not that's not a true story. So, it's what I read oh. about and adapted. So, Brendan, not oh, cool. tremendous. I felt because of your piece, I really felt the emotion on that, Lauren. Really, really powerful piece. So. Thank you. Okay, over to you for number two. Less than me. Over to you. <laughs> okay, so this next poem is sort of kind of like a sequel to the previous one. It's called "A Perfectly Normal Family Day at the Beach." Sandcastles lie in my spine, and the tide is coming in. My sister collects crab carcasses and dangles them in the sun like a lucky rabbit foot. She smashes rocks with bigger rocks, and the sand moves like a comet has struck it. The rock does not break, will not break. We walk on. I drag my mermaid tail along the sand, like I am magmatized to the ocean floor. The sea becomes louder and louder, the further away I get from it. Beckoning or haunting, I cannot tell which. Sandcastles begin to grow at my fins. Kingless, they drag me down and my family walks on. The foam of the ocean is wearing me like a flesh dress. Like my blood is curdling the water into waves. Like I am expected to walk into the sea after her ashes, trying to catch them before they turn to sand. My sister tries again to break the stone. It resists. That last line really hard hitting there, actually. That was tremendous. That was also like the reference about flesh dress as well. So I think it really works really well in the context of that piece. Uh, but again, you've got a really good use of titles in your pieces there as well. Some ways which catch would catch me out from the poem itself, but I like that anyway. So no, I tried to add a little bit of like dark humor with the title sometimes. I began to work that out. I saw the black humor definitely coming through there. So <laughs> okay, Lauren, on to number three then straight away. Okay. Abandoned railway. Mum told me not to go up there, but that place held me in its hands like God. My best friend took me first. I would take many others, all surrogates of her. It was our bridge to Terabithia. 
pasta vines, used condoms and broken bottles, to the graffitied iron railings, our legs dangling through the gaps, trains sending small earthquakes through our bodies. I took a boy up there on our last date. I lay on his body like it was a train track. The place felt a little less sacred after that. One time, I saw a man up there fully nude, crouched there in the daylight like some wild creature. As I ran away, he heard the cracking of twigs and ran after me. Today, I went up there for the first time in a long time. I can't remember who I brought with me. It felt rehearsed, like I was living a memory. And then I realized why I used to love this place so much. I could still taste the midnight air and our laughter. Tremendous again. Wow. Now, I'm reluctant to ask too many questions about that because I've got That's the okay. feeling there's some parts of that that are best just left alone, basically. I mean, definitely with that. So, all a true story. That's all I'll say. Yeah. And I was wondering if that was all that was a true story. So, but um, which abandoned train station was that out of interest? Um, so, it's if you go, do you know the retail park in Altrincham? I do, yes. If you walk on the canal path from Dunnell Mill to Timperley, Along yeah. the canal path, there's like a little intern, and then there's an abandoned railway like up in the sky. You have to kind of like right, yeah, I know you mean. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. thought I was, trying, I was trying to think where the world, where it was round there. Yeah, there is one up round there. Yes, I have actually. Oh, yeah. it's so cool. Yeah, isn't it? I see. Yeah, my mate of mine's a professional photographer. Um, yeah, he dragged me up there about that was a few years ago as well, right? So yeah, yeah that's I, why I wasn't sure where where you'd been then for a minute. Cause I know you've got a Mayfield train station opposite next to Piccadilly. Mm. And there's one in Trafford Park that's abandoned as well. So yeah, no, I want to explore more abandoned places because I really, I really like them, and they're great for poetry. <laughs> oh yeah, completely. Do you can really get a feel for place sometimes? You can. Mm-hmm. Like it was. Um, have you been to? Have been to Longford Theatre? No. Stratford. We'll read that one up. Read up on that for yourself. Or yeah. The Deco is also called. It's on the corner of Chester Wait, Road. Wait, the blue one. Yeah, the blue one. Oh, yeah. I love that. I, I've not. Actually, I've only ever like drove past it. But it's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, it's. I've never. You can't get into it, but I've seen enough videos that you can see. It's worth reading up on that. I wrote a really good poem about that some years ago. And it's yeah, fascinating. It's a fascinating play. Yeah, I'll dig it up. Dig it up. Yeah. Yeah, that's, so right. that's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. Anyone's wondering where you are, check it out, okay? So as I would say, definitely. Now, that's your third poem, I believe, yeah. isn't it? So Yeah. Right, we're on to that. As I always say, it's spoken label. The big conclusion now. <laughs> okay. Um, so this poem is from the collection that got with Young Identity called Ecosystems of Fury. So you can buy that on Young Identity's website. <laughs> uh, it's called Afterbirth. Imagine me naked in portrait. Placed inside an oyster shell, I adorn myself in goddess blood until I come out alone, ripe like a newborn. Imagine me naked in bloom. The greatest fruit drops at night, falling gracefully, pausing gravity to spin themselves like ballerinas, landing unbruised, almost rolling into my mouth for me to destroy. 
Imagine me naked in ink, umbilical to myself, birthing black into evergreen. Please, abortion me to reach nirvana. Yeah, that's that was a good choice to wrap up with there straight away because that's visually really, I think, thank you, shocking piece in a, in a really stunning way. That makes sense. Like, it was was that quite a difficult piece to write because obviously your first two yourself were about you directed about your family, weren't they? Yeah, and the third one was about more memories, but that felt you were in a different tangent altogether there. Yeah, I this was the easiest to be honest because oh, it's, right. it's like kind of more abstract whereas the others are like memory based so it's like there's more of a distance um so yeah this was definitely even though it feels like i guess the imagery is more violent in a sense but it's yeah it was definitely easier to write and more fun not that the others weren't fun they were more cathartic but you know what i mean yeah i think there's a big difference in between image-based poems and cathartic stuff sometimes i find out the piece to write where sometimes it when they grow it's when they start mixing then it gets more fascinating sometimes definitely if you know what i mean so yeah definitely anyway so right that is it for today guys and girls lauren's and me have got a few other things to sort out on spoken label tonight because she's contributing to another project i'm doing which we're going on to next so you'll see that shortly so but lauren i want to thank you today it's been a fascinating chat today and unexpected as well which is always a good sign (laughs) So. No, it's been really, really great. I've really enjoyed it. I, I wasn't having the best day, so this has been like a lovely way to end the day. It's been great. Oh, it's always good. Always good tip, people. You always say good podcasting. Another sort of say that an apple a day keeps a doctor away. In this case, a podcast a day keeps a doctor away. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, seriously, guys, this is the end of spoken label for today. So pleasure again, Lauren. We'll get you back on again, definitely in the future. Love to have you on. Thank you. So. As Don Callis, formerly of Impact Wrestling, always says, and I like to do is conclude with, stay safe and stay over, and we will see you all next time. Spoken Label.